Chapter 24 of The Four Feathers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Four Feathers by A. E. W. Mason. Chapter 24 On the Nile. It was a callous country inhabited by a callous race, thought Calder as he traveled down the Nile from the Wadi Halfa to Aswan on his three months' furlough. He leaned over the rail of the upper deck of the steamer and looked down upon the barge lashed alongside. On the lower deck of the barge, among the native passengers, stood an angarib, the native bedstead of matting woven across a four-legged frame, whereon was stretched the motionless figure of a human being shrouded in a black veil. The Angarab and its burden had been carried on board early that morning at Korosko by two Arabs, who now sat laughing and chattering in the stern of the barge. It might have been a dead man or a dead woman who lay still and stretched upon the bedstead. So little heed did they give to it. Calder lifted his eyes and looked to his right and his left across glaring sand and barren rocks shaped roughly into the hard forms of pyramids. The narrow meager strip of green close by the water's edge upon each bank was the only response which the Sudan made to spring and summer and the beneficent rain, a callous country inhabited by a callous people. Calder looked downwards again to the Angarab upon the barge's deck and the figure lying upon it. Whether it was man or woman, he could not tell. The black veil lay close about the face, outlining the nose, the hollows of the eyes, and the mouth. But whether the lips wore a moustache and the chin a beard, it did not reveal. The slanting sunlight crept nearer and nearer to the Angarab. The natives seated close to it moved into the shadow of the upper deck, but no one moved the Angarab and the two men laughing in the stern gave no thought to their charge. Calder watched the blaze of yellow light creep over the black recumbent figure from the feet upwards. It burnt at last, bright and pitiless upon the face. Yet the living creature beneath the veil never stirred. The veil never fluttered above the lips. The legs remained stretched out straight. The arms lay close against the side. Calder shouted to the two men in the stern. Move the Angarab into the shadow, he cried, and be quick. The Arabs rose reluctantly and obeyed him. Is it a man or woman? asked Calder. A man. We are taking him to the hospital at Aswan, but we do not think that he will live. He fell from a palm tree three weeks ago. You give him nothing to eat or drink? He is too ill. It was a common story and the logical outcome of the belief that life and death are written and will inevitably befall after the manner of the writing. The man lying so quiet beneath the black covering had probably at the beginning suffered nothing more serious than a bruise, which a few simple remedies would have cured within a week. But he had been allowed to lie even as he lay upon the Angarab at the mercy of the sun and the flies, unwashed, unfed, and with his thirst unslacked. 
the bruise had become a sore the sore had gangrened and when all remedies were too late the objection mudir of korosko had discovered the accident and sent the man on the steamer down to aswan but familiar though the story was calder could not dismiss it from his thoughts the immobility of the sick man upon the native bedstead in a way fascinated him and when towards sunset a strong wind sprang up and blew against the stream he felt an actual comfort in the knowledge that the sick man would gain some relief from it and when his neighbor that evening at the dinner-table spoke to him with the german accent he suddenly asked upon an impulse you are not a doctor by any chance not a doctor said the german but a student of medicine at bonn i came from cairo to see the second cataract but was not allowed to go farther than wadi halfa calder interrupted him at once then i will trespass upon your holiday and claim your professional assistance for yourself with pleasure though i should never have guessed you are ill said the student smiling good-naturedly behind his eyeglasses nor am i it is an arab for whom i ask your help the man on the bedstead yes if you will be so good i will warn you he was hurt three weeks ago and i know these people no one will have touched him since he was hurt the sight will not be pretty this is not a nice country for untended wounds the german student shrugged his shoulders all experience is good said he and the two men rose from the table and went out on to the upper deck the wind had freshened during the dinner and blowing upstream had raised waves so that the steamer and its barge tossed and the water broke on board he was below there said the student as he leaned over the rail and peered downwards to the lower deck of the barge alongside it was night and the night was dark above that lower deck only one lamp swung from the centre of the upper deck glimmered and threw uncertain lights and uncertain shadows over a small circle beyond the circle all was black darkness except at the bows where the water breaking on board flung a white sheet of spray it could be seen like a sprinkle of snow driven by the wind it could be heard striking the deck like the lash of a whip he has been moved said the german no doubt he has been moved there is no one in the bows calder bent his head downwards and stared into the darkness for a little while without speaking i believe the angarab is there he said at length i believe it is followed by the german he hurried down the stairway to the lower deck of the steamer and went to the side he could make certain now the angarab stood in a wash of water on the very spot to which at calder's order it had been moved that morning and on the angarab the figure beneath the black covering lay as motionless as ever as inexpressive of life and feeling though the coal spray broke continually upon its face i thought it would be so said calder he got a lantern and with a german student climbed across the bulwarks onto the barge he summoned the two arabs move the angarab from the bow he said and when they had obeyed now take that covering off 
I wish my friend who is a doctor to see the wound. The two men hesitated, and then one of them with an air of insolence objected. There are doctors in Aswan, whither we are taking him. Calder raised the lantern and himself drew the veil away from off the wounded man. Now, if you please, he said to his companion. The German student made his examination of the wounded thigh, while Calder held the lantern above his head. As Calder had predicted, it was not a pleasant business, for the wound crawled. The German student was glad to cover it up again. I can't do nothing, he said. Perhaps in a hospital with baths and dressings. Relief will be given at all events, but more? I do not know. Here I could not even begin to do anything at all. Do these two men understand English? No, answered Calder. Then I can tell you something. He did not get hurt by falling out of any palm tree. That is a lie. The injury was done by the blade of a spear or some weapon of the kind. Are you sure? Yes. Calder bent down suddenly toward the Arab on the Angarab. Although he never moved, the man was conscious. Calder had been looking steadily at him, and he saw that his eyes followed the spoken words. "'You understand English?' said Calder. The Arab could not answer with his lips, but a look of comprehension came into his face. "'Where do you come from?' asked Calder. The lips tried to move, but not so much as a whisper escaped from them. Yet his eyes spoke, but spoke vainly, for the most which they could tell was a great eagerness to answer. Calder dropped upon his knee, close by the man's head, and holding the lantern close, enunciated the towns. From Dongola? No gleam in the Arab's eye responded to that name. From Metemna? From Berber? From Andermann? Ah! The Arab answered to that word. He closed his eyelids. Calder went on still more eagerly. You are wounded there. No? Where then? At Berber? Yes. You were in prison? At Omdurman and escaped? No? Yet you were wounded? Calder sank back upon his knee and reflected. His reflections roused in him some excitement. He bent down to the Arab's ear and spoke in a lower key. You were helping someone to escape? Yes. Who? al Kamakam Trench? No. He mentioned the names of other white captives in Omdurman, and to each name the Arab's eyes answered no. It was Effendi Fevershan then, he said, and the eyes assented as clearly as though the lips had spoken. But this was all the information which Calder could secure. I, too, am pledged to help Effendi Fevershan, he said, but in vain. The Arab could not speak. He could not so much as tell his name, and his two companions would not. Whatever those two men knew or suspected, they had no mind to meddle in the matter themselves. And they clung consistently to a story which absolved them from responsibility. Kinsmen of theirs in Korosko, hearing that they were traveling to Aswan, 
had asked them to take charge of the wounded man, who was a stranger to them, and they had consented. Calder could get nothing more explicit from them than this statement, however closely he questioned them. He had under his hand the information which he desired, the news of Harry Feversham, for which Durrance asked by every mail. But it was hidden from him in a locked book. He stood beside the helpless man upon the Angarib. There he was, eager enough to speak, but the extremity of weakness to which he had sunk laid a finger upon his lips. All that Calder could do was to see him safely bestowed within the hospital at Answan. Will he recover? Calder asked, and the doctors shook their heads in doubt. There was a chance, perhaps, a very slight chance, but at the best recovery would be slow. Calder continued upon his journey to Cairo and Europe. An opportunity of helping Harry Feversham had slipped away for the Arab who could not even speak his name was Abdu Fatma of the Kababish tribe, and his presence, wounded and helpless upon the Nile steamer between Korosko and Aswan, meant that Harry Feversham's carefully laid plan for the rescue of Colonel Trench had failed. End of chapter 24